I'm Coach Seb, and this is Running New Mexico. All right, joining me today, I have Lionel Ortega. He is a West Mesa graduate, UNM graduate, was an All-American runner for them, pro runner, has worked for Nike and Adidas, a 214 marathoner, three-time La Luz runner-up, and just a legend in New Mexico running. So thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. So my first question is, how did you get into running? Ah... Well, you know, he kept to run in PE, so that was pretty easy. It came pretty easy to me. Uh, didn't, I didn't get tired. I was always in the front. <laughs> and then, but I didn't go out for uh, track and field. I didn't go out cross country. I was kind of ah, uh, hyper basically. So I was at that time anyway, and so I couldn't see. I really was having trouble with school because you know you have to sit there for an hour in a class and. I used to always think, God, they could have told us that in 10 minutes and let us go, you know. <laughs> so it wasn't really too focused on class or anything. And then uh, one day uh, I used to have to take care of my grandmother. In the evening, evenings, I'd have to go stay with her. She lived out, out by the downtown area. And so I'd come back on the bus. Well, one day when I was coming back on the bus, I saw a middle school that I'd gone to. And I got off the bus and went to the track just to walk around it. Then I started running, and all of a sudden I was going every day to run around the track, and just just enjoyed it a lot. And uh, when I went back to to school, that was in the summer. Then when we started school again, my junior year, uh, that cross country coach Yanoni came up to me and said, uh, "You're coming out for the team." I said, well, "I don't know if I want to." And he said, "You're coming out for the team." Okay, <laughs> I guess I will. And uh, I was really lucky to have him as first coach. He was. Uh, yeah, he really trained us well. Yeah, a lot of coaches in the high school at that time would just send the runners out to go run for an hour or something, you know, and uh, he arranged workouts for us. We did a lot of, uh, you know, uh, repeat miles, you know, but not on a track, but out on a, on a cross-country course. And so he gave, gave me the base that I, I needed to, to really improve quickly. And... Uh, I always like doing high high mileage, so I just do my high mileage and then do the, the faster runs with uh, with the team. And uh, we had a good team. I like uh, junior year we were just getting started, getting the team together. But by my senior year, uh, we won state that year, and uh, you know it's very, very diversified. I had a lot of the Native Americans from from around uh, that were going to West Mesa. They were really good runners, Leroy Nelson. All right. And, uh, you know, it, so we had a good team. It all came, came together and uh, we ran uh, well at state. And it was just nice. It was you know, nice to be the, I think we were the first team, not just cross country team, the first team from West Mesa to win state. So we just got started on it. And uh, then my, uh, Senior year, you know, obviously I want to go to college. And looking at uh, Coach Vigil was working in Albuquerque. He was getting a doctorate or something. Right. And so I met him, and he talked to me about going to Adam State. At the same time, Silverberg was talking to me, talking to me about going to uh, 
uh, he was out there in eastern New Mexico. Okay. And then you and were talking to me too. So finally I decided to go to, to go to, um, to with Coach V Hill. But it's cold there, man. <laughs> so, you know, Adam State, uh, it's cold. And, you know, I'm a morning trainer. I train in the morning. Right. It just, uh, I feel better in the morning. I'm a different person. And so it was rough, you know, getting out in that cold weather and everything. But then, like I said, I, I work, I, I was there one year, and then that summer when I was working landscaping and just really tired trying to run, I just kind of said, no, I'm going to take a break, and took a break for about six months and came back to Albuquerque, and then started running again in Albuquerque, running around Johnson Field, uh, Johnson Gym there, and uh, I don't know why, I used to like to go in circles basically for a while, <laughs> and then and then I'd go to the, the UNM uh, uh, golf course, you know, the North Golf Course, and I'd run there. And But didn't race or anything. I just uh, ran for about six months and then went to a race and just to see how all that running I was doing would, do, would work out. And it worked out. I won that race. And uh, the uh, then coach from UNM came and, and talked to me. And uh, so I said, yeah, okay, I'll run with you now. And... Uh, and Hackett, you know, I just, I loved Hackett, Coach Hackett. It just, it was a great band for me. I really admired him. And so it was easy for me to work with him. And uh, so I just ran, and that was, oh, gosh. I think <laughs> I, when I couldn't start racing for them until 75 or 76. Okay. Because I had to sit out because it was a transfer from Adam State. Oh, right. And and so I, I made All-American cross country I think in 75 and then in 76 I ran they had uh, NCAA track and field championships right. at uh, BYU so I went up for that and basically I was the second American you know Craig Virgin won <clears throat> and everybody else that was in front of me were from Europe or from you know Africa and all over so I was happy you know, and I was improving. So it was my first, you know, running my experience running with the, with the university, you know, UNM. Mm. And I, I liked it a lot. And then, uh, you know, with, uh, one, it's one time during cross country, Peter Butler was running with us. He's a real good runner from Canada. Right. My dad's and, talked about him. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. He's uh, you know, really good. He ran like a really good for Canada. So, uh, he, he asked me, hey, let's go to Canada. They have this really important race over there. I want to go. And I said, well, you know, I've never been to Canada. Okay, I'll go. <laughs> so I borrowed some money. And uh, we went to Canada. And it's a spring bank. They have a, a four and a half miler and uh, a 12 miler. And it's a real big race. I mean, you know, it's the people that have won it, Frank Shorter, uh, Gifter, that... Uh, what was that name of that runner? The Kenyan runner, really good. Uh, something gifter, I think. Uh, but, uh, and, uh, you know, just famous people that want it. Right. So we went and, you know, didn't rest at all. We just got there and we stayed at, they put us up into the house. And then the next morning we got out. It was raining. It was windy. We got out and ran. <laughs> and I ran the best race of my life. Wow. Just the best race without even planning it, you know. 
just one of the things that everything connected. Right. And I want, I want it. And I, you know, and I'm proud of that race. It was just, uh, you know, it was good. It was raining and it was wet. And for some reason, I like it when it's raining and windy. It doesn't bother me. It bothers <laughs> a lot of people, but it does, doesn't bother me. So, uh, you know, that was the first international race I'd run, in, and uh, you know, I was happy with that. And you know, just running with the university at that time right. they didn't have the big meets like they have now. You know, they go to right. You know, where five or six schools run and compete against each other. At that time, would be, you know, you know, Arizona would come down. We'd run against them, or we'd go to Arizona. You know, just two teams racing against each other. Oh wow! I didn't but know it was neat. Yeah, yeah, so it was different. But for me, it was nice because you know I was always a UNM fan. When I was a kid, I used to just uh, watch basketball. When I couldn't watch it, I'd listen to it on the radio. And just you know, go fall asleep just with the radio on. And I used to go when the team would come back into Albuquerque, I'd go down to the pit and, you know, meet them and everything. So I was a UNM fanatic. And so to be able to run, you know, with UNM was really a dream come true for me. And, uh, you know, I didn't know to be able to make All-American the first uh, year that I ran with them. I was happy with that. It was, uh, you know, worked hard. But... Uh, you know, it's enjoyable, basically. It, it becomes a part of your life. So Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it was good. It was very, I don't think, I, I definitely wouldn't have graduated from high school if I hadn't started running. That I know. I just wow. didn't enjoy it. And then, uh, you know, as I got to UNM, then I started realizing, okay, you need an education. After, you know, like I did all that labor work before. Right. You need an education if you want some kind of chance. So I started focusing on my grades and, I got it up to a 3.5, I think, or something. And it wasn't that difficult. All you had to do was study a bit, you know, do a little bit of work and you can get your grades up. Right. But, uh, so I did that and, you know, then like my college uh, <laughs> career ended. And, and uh, but I, before that, I had already started running marathons because, you know, I, I don't know, I went, when I, when I ran cross country, I think it was the same year. I made uh, all of that tall American is uh, yeah, I didn't have nothing to do cross country was done and kind of my, I dropped my training mileage and got kind of bored and then <laughs> I don't know how somebody told me about the, the marathon in Culver City uh, and so I said well I'll just look, I'll go down there and find out what's going on and it's uh you know, it was a big marathon for me because you know, most of the ones that were at Rumborn in Albuquerque and, uh, you know, we didn't have that many runners at the time, even though now it's kind of a lot bigger. Right. So, so the Culver City one, it was, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but they had some good runners there. They had uh, Gary Tuttle. He's a real good runner. And then uh, uh, Cecil Pfeiffer. Like, uh, and he was good. No, no, that first year he didn't, he wasn't there. It was Gary Tuttle, and he won. And, but I ran out to 19 or something like that. Wow. And I enjoyed it. You know, it was, uh, wasn't difficult. I wasn't tired, basically. It was just, you know, <laughs> uh, and, uh, so then again, the next year, I went, went back again. And I was alone running, because the guy, uh, you know, the guy that had won the time before, Gary, Gary Tuttle, didn't go. 
So there was nobody really close to me. I was running alone the whole race. Wow. And I ran faster <laughs> to 18 or to 17. And they, uh, you know, it was, it was enjoyable. It was easy. And, but there was wow. a guy, I've got, I always wish, God, I wish I had a picture of that race. I don't have a picture from that race. And then about 30 years later, uh, a guy from, you know, sent me a, an email with a picture. You know, I look at that picture. I go, wow, that's a picture from Topo City. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was surprised. And I, I wrote back to the guy, where'd you get that picture from? He said, ah, I took, let's see, that guy said, yeah, I took it. I went to, he said, I went there to run, but he was in high school. And, and so he was only going to run half of it or a quarter of it, whatever. And then he told me, well, you know, uh, you'd like a picture, I'll give it to you, okay. And so then he had a friend that was a photographer. He's a famous guy, too. You know, he does a lot of uh, running races, uh, Bill Lennart or something like that. Oh, Lennart. And so anyway, he, the guy who would send me the picture told me his name and gave me his email because I wanted I wanted to tell him thank you. <laughs> he was yeah. the guy that, that was with me when I was running. You know, I was kind of lonely out there. And, and this guy was riding his bike next to me, and well, I enjoyed the company, basically. I want to just be out there running alone. So I'm in good contact with them now. Like I said, I see them all the time on you know, all the groups they have for running and everything. Right. He's always in them and, and takes good pictures. That's... So then I guess I did that twice. Great Western. That was a Western Hemisphere a marathon. That's what they called it at the time. Okay. So... Then, I don't know why I decided to go to New York. Uh, just, you know, again, it sounded good, you know. Right. <laughs> and so I just really, I didn't have no money. I had to borrow some money to go to New York. So I called up that Fred LeBeau. I used to put on the race. And I told him, all right, you know, can you pay for me? You know, there's times I run. I run these two marathons in one month, once. And you think you could give me a plane ticket to get there? And he said, no, no, you know, we got a, we already have the people that we're inviting in. I said, well, if I come in the top 10, will you, uh, will you reimburse me? He said, yeah, okay, I'll reimburse you. Wow. I went out there and, uh, God, what an adventure, you know, it just, <laughs> uh, you know, I was sitting in front of the Lincoln Center. Trying to think of a place that would go eat or something, and a guy came up to me and he said, oh, "Would you like to a ticket to see Harry Schaefer?" And uh, Harry Schaefer, I've heard that name, but I can't remember his music. You know, this is a cat in the cradle one where okay. he sings, "I'm gonna be like you, Dad." You know? Oh yeah, yeah. And so he he wanted to sell me a ticket. And I said, oh, you know, I, "I can't remember all his music, so I really don't want to pay for for that." <laughs> and so, well, here, here, take the ticket. I said, wow, thanks, I appreciate that. Right in the middle. I mean, it was like three rows back. It was a great concert. I loved that concert. On the way out, I saw the guy. And I, uh, I told him, hey, let me pay you. You know, I really appreciate it. And it was, you know, I realized I, had, I knew more of his music. He said, no, nah, don't worry about it. I'm just glad that you enjoyed it. So, wow, you know, everybody talks negative about New York. And everybody's nice to me, so I have no complaints. <laughs> so then I got up. Tired and late, and I missed the bus to go to the start of the race. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, God. Yeah, I was like, oh, man, I just got this. 
you know, I, I didn't have a decent meal all the time I was there. I, right. I, I bought some spaghetti, but it was in one of those restaurants, fancy restaurants that they don't give you much food, you know. Yeah. So I was, you know, I was starving, basically. <laughs> so I grabbed a cab right away, you know, and I told them, let's go to the starting line. Uh, I think I was the only runner that showed up in cab or whatever, but <laughs> I got there. And, uh, you know, again, I, it just felt good. You know, I didn't feel tired, and there was a group running. I just stayed with the group. And uh, ended up coming in 10th. Oh, wow. But there was some confusion at the end. I was 10th. That I know. Because I was counting all the places and everything. Right. But when I crossed, I crossed the finish line, and after you crossed the finish line, at that time you had to go farther down to get your, it was like a, like your number basically. It, it says what place you came in, one, you get number one, you get number two, they right. had them on some, it like popsicle sticks or something, and, you know. So I was grabbing mine, a guy came running by, quick, <laughs> and grabbed it, and passed me. <laughs> and, you know, I'm thinking, what the heck, why do you, you do that? And it was Don Cardon. I said, God, you know, <laughs> but he'd take my number. I said, well, they, they must have a camera. They go, no, I finished 10th. Right. You know, so I'm not going to worry about it. And uh, I, I'm i not too sure they, I think the Roadrunners Club listed me at 11th, but there's some other site that added a 10th, so I don't know, maybe they had the picture in my Roadrunners 10th or whatever. Yeah. But it kind of bothered me a bit, you know, trying to explain that. I'm not 11th. There's a big difference between 11th and 10th. You know, well, especially if you're... you're trying to get trying to get your money back. Right. <laughs> so, I, so I got my money back, and that was 77. But before that, I went to the Olympic trials in 76. That's one where Tony Sandoval, I think he was fourth. Okay. And Don Cardone was third. And it just... You know, really, really stupid I was. <laughs> uh, Frank Shorter went out. The first two miles, we were like a 920. Wow. It was crazy. It just, I went out, went out too fast. It just got burnt out. I finished like 230-something. Wow. I was really disappointed, you know. I mean, I had at the time, I was running good all the time before that, and, you know, I just went out too fast. Where was that race and at? Eugene, Oregon. Okay. So, uh, I was disappointed. And then, uh, so in 78, 77, I ran New York. And I had a period there for like from 75 to 78, which I, mean, I had nothing but good races almost all the time. And uh, so then Nike was having the uh, Nike Eugene Marathon. And Jeff right. Hollis still called me up and say, they can you make it. I say, yeah, I won't go to New York this year. I go, and two with the Nike marathon. So I was, there were 13 guys faster, faster than me because my number was 13. You know, the, the guy who won the year before was number one, right. guy with the second faster time, number two, and all that. So I was 13 for a regular oh, This is a deep field, pretty deep. So we started running. It was raining. I felt good. Like I thought, saying to the pitch, I have a, somebody sent me a magazine article and showed everybody starting off. And I always run when the, we start running. I always pull to the side. I don't want to get tripped or anything. Right. I stay away from the group. So we we're running. It was, you know, it was about five, and that was good. You, know, you had Tony Sandoval running. You had uh, 
uh, John Ludwig. You had the other guy, Jeff Wells, and Chuck Hatterley. Some really good runners. Yeah, I think Ron Wayne was running too. I'm not too sure. Mm. So it was a group. They stayed. We stayed together as a group for most of the race, and then we got down to about the twenty. Uh, maybe it's about twenty four miles, twenty five miles, and Sandoval started to pull away. And you know, we just kind of stayed together as a group, and you know, we pulled his creating space between us and him. And then uh, I decided to go after him. I don't know why. Except so I pulled away <laughs> from the group, and we're going over the Willamette uh, Bridge, over the Willamette River Bridge. And I tell you, you know, there was a guy sitting there, had a beard, and I don't know why, he looked home to me, maybe I was tired or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if he wasn't there, I would have never won. Really? Basically. And that guy changed my life. He told me three words as I ran by him. He told me, you can win. All of a sudden, he woke me up. Said, <laughs> you know, he's right. And, you know, in Sandoval's room, I think like a 149 you know, uh, 800 meters. I guess Lake Street and John Lodwick, you know, he was one of the fastest 800 meter runners in high school. Right. So, you know, I knew I had to crank it. I'm going to crank it in, try and win. I had to start earlier. Because they were a lot faster than me. And I just picked it up, caught Sandoval going into the, it ended at the, the track, uh, University of Oregon track. Right. And we had to go once, once around it. Caught him going in and ended up beating him. And there was a group of guys coming coming behind fast. You know? <laughs> but I won, so I changed my life because they uh, they wanted me to ask me to, to because I I beat all the runners to run for uh, Athletics West. Wow. So I said, yeah, well, heck yeah, man! I don't have a job, you know. <laughs> and you know I'm getting arrested there, so yeah, no problem. Yeah. Oh, I'll, uh, I'll move. And, wow. you know, I just had my son was born just a little before that, yeah. So now we have, you know, my biggest worry and was always once my you know, kids were born, is you know, I don't want to go pay for all this, you know, you know right. school and the kids are expensive. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, I would always talk to Jeff Hall. It's like, I gotta, I gotta do something, Jeff. I can't just run. I gotta make money. So he told me, well, you know, we don't have anything really in Eugene. Well, we could put you at the Nike Eugene store. It's so great. You know, I really appreciate that. Yeah. So I started working at the Nike Eugene store. And that was, again, one of the best things I did because when you met a lot of these famous people, you know, they come into the store, all these good runners coming in. Now Bill Bowerman would come in, you know, and talk. And it was great. You know? And then I'd meet a lot of the upper management in Nike that came through. And that That's... helped because then... Uh, one of them called me up one day and uh, he said, uh, you know, there was no Hispanics really in my kid at that time. Uh, and I guess everybody figured I was, they would, they would go up to Mexico, so they wanted to put a Mexican over there and they figured I was Mexican. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I, I didn't tell them I, I don't speak good Spanish. I don't speak anything well, to tell you the truth. Right. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so he said, you speak uh, Spanish? I said, sure. I figured he'll never figure it out. And uh, so he said, well, we got to take you to, to Exeter, New Hampshire to uh, train you in the production side of the business. 
Oh, wow. I said, okay, I have no problem. So I moved to Exeter. I took my, my, uh, my son, took my wife, and then all of a sudden, uh, she was expecting another baby, so it was going to be another bigger family. Right. So I went to Exeter, and it was, I liked Exeter. It was a smaller town, cold, same thing. Yeah. We'd go out and run. You know, because now with kids, I definitely had to be home in the afternoon. Right. So we're going out at 6 in the morning. And Tom Clark, who ended up being a CEO of Nike, uh, before Tom Parker, you know, would come pick me up and we'd go off and run. And when I come back, I'd have icicles on my on my ears. <laughs> and so it was cold, but you know, I had to do it. So you were still and, professional uh, running at this time too, right? Uh, trying to. But okay. really after I left Adams State, I mean, when I, after I left uh, the store in Eugene, and really, I never ran well with Athletics Quest. Okay. Never did. I did, and there was a simple reason, basically. I, I did, my base of my training was high mileage. And the basis of uh, the training for Adam State, and it worked because it worked for Sandoval, it worked for everybody who was doing it, right. was 20-kilometer time trials every week. And wow. I thought that's the stupidest thing around, you know. You're racing, you know, every week. It doesn't make sense, you know. Yeah. And you know, go to a race if you want. <clears throat> you want to do it at least, you know, not as boring like we do it with uh, practice. So I wasn't. I was never really believed in it. And you know, I just just really, you know, I was, I was mixing workouts up. And that's why I never. I kept getting worse and worse, basically. So that's when I, well, I you know, I better go move to the job to go to New Hampshire. Right. So I'd still run there. And. uh uh, enjoyed it. I learned a lot. And then who else? The same guy would call me to move to, uh, yeah, to move to Mexico. Well, that that factory never went through in Mexico. It will go built there. Uh, it, uh, it, you know, it just didn't go through. So, uh, I, I had to go into. Well, my boss had to go and do a presentation and explain, you know, what's happening in the factory. Why we're not going to go through with it and blah 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 to Phil Knight and all the vice presidents of Nike. Uh, he chickened out the day before <laughs> leaving. And he, saw, he told me, you have to go. And I said, I don't have no problem. I don't make much money shit, you know. Well, yeah. They can't fire me because, you know, <laughs> I can find this job, job like this one anywhere else. <laughs> so I went and, you know, I really, and this is truthful, I really don't have much talent, you know, but I believe in myself. I really do. I think that's a gift of, you know, to get along with your life is that, you know, I have confidence. And so I went, it didn't bother me to go in and talk to them. It's kind of more than they do about this project. So I went in and talked to them. And again, that changed my life. Because there was one guy sitting in there. And, uh, you know, they must have thought I was from Mars or something, you know. There was no Hispanic guys around that, you know, maybe cutting the, lawn or something but right. inside Nike there was no Hispanic I never met another Hispanic basically. Wow. so you know they see this guy come short guy come in with a mustache and you know starts making a presentation and that wasn't that great a presentation but at least I look confident right and uh, so they wanted to do a joint venture you know distribution in Nike at that time was a lot of using distributors you have 
you, you work with somebody in the, in the country and they distribute, they buy and distribute the product for you. Okay. And then you give them the marketing. And instead of a subsidiary, you know, Nike also had subsidiaries where they opened their own company. So a distributor was, uh, was a good friend of Phil Knight's that they had come to Stanford to, uh, together. So that vice president went to, went to Korea to set it up. And uh, he, he talked to their manager in Korea and he said, give me a list of the people that you recommend for that job. So he gave him a list. He said, you know, there's a short guy with a mustache. I did a presentation. What's his name? He's supposed to be working. I said, ah, oh, it's Ortega. Okay, he's go get the job. Wow. And, you know, I mean, just because he, he liked the lousy presentation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so, okay. I mean, you never move. And I, I was moving. Look, I moved from retail to production. Wow. Nobody ever moves from retail to production. Right. And then, and then I was in production, and then I was going to uh, into marketing and sales for, uh, you know, overseeing a company, basically. Well, and like you uh, said, done, uh, you know, the, there <laughs> wasn't a lot of Hispanics. I mean, you you must have been, you know, one of the, the early... Hispanics, you know, rising up within Nike at the time, if not the only one. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, uh, the only one. Well, you know, it helped really with the running. Yeah. There's a ton of runners in Nike. <laughs> All these runners would come into the store and they wanted to hire me. Hey, come on, you know, I'm in Korea. You want to come work with with us in Korea? You know, and so there was a lot of demand. Uh, I don't know, you know, runners like to help runners, basically. Yeah, and so that that helped me a lot, and then then all of a sudden I, I realized, God, this you know, working with the distributors is a lot nicer than you know, working in the factory. Working in the factory, this is nice. You dress nice, and you get paid better. to <laughs> stay in this area, <laughs> and uh, so then I thought I started moving because I I took care of Korea and I get Korea, and then they were opening in Brazil, and they needed somebody. I guess that. Speak Portuguese. I didn't speak Portuguese at the time, but I didn't say no. <laughs> so yeah, I'll go. And, and you know, the thing is good. That time, uh, Nike didn't have a a really you know complete. Uh, you know, they, they were, everything was moving so quickly. Yeah. And they need somebody. You know, the guy who needed it would basically negotiate. You know, human resources wasn't doing a negotiation. So many time, you know, they wanted me to move. I said, yeah, but I need more money. You know, you don't get it. You move and you have an answer. You know, we'll get it when you get there. So I always asked for more money. I kept getting more money. And I moved to Mexico and uh, worked at setting up the uh, distribution in Mexico. Wow. And then I went back. Then I had to go back to to Korea. And, and, and I don't know. I was moving. I was moving every year, going back and forth, back and forth. That's that's amazing. I mean, how did your uh, your family handle that with you know the back and forth too? Uh, it was difficult for my son. For my daughter, it was perfect. She, in fact, she works for Nike now, okay. and uh, you know she wanted uh, she wanted to get into the business. She was exposed to it. You know, right. get into a business that your parents expose you to is your thing. So uh, she's doing real well. And, uh, because they're into diversity now, and so uh, you know, she's Hispanic, and right. so you know that helps yeah. a lot. And uh, 
but she loved it. She's a good worker. She's better than me at in languages, a lot better. And she's good uh, with numbers, really good. And that helps me too. I always like numbers, and I could uh, see them pretty well. So, yeah, so I worked. Um, I stayed working with Mikey. And the only reason I left him was they were going to move me to Taiwan, Taiwan, Thailand. I think wanted somebody to do some negotiation, price negotiation, negotiations in Thailand. I said, okay, I'll go. <laughs> Again, you know, what's you know, the money? So I got to talk to human resources. And a lady from human resources said, no, no, yeah, it's the same level of job I got now. I go, well, why would I move my whole family for the same level of job? Right. You know? Yeah, I'm not worried. If I get more money, I'll, I'll move. So now I'm not going to give you more money. So look, I think I'm worth more money, but you obviously don't think I am. I'm going to find out what I'm worth outside of Nike. Wow. I'm not leaving Nike. I just want to see what I'm worth outside of Nike. So I called a friend of working at uh, Adidas. Adidas was in bad shape at that time. God, the product was lousy. They were a mess. <laughs> and I, I didn't know they were weeks away from uh, bankruptcy. If I'd known that, I wouldn't have gone. But so I went and did an interview. A guy talked to me in Spanish all the time, but I was living in Brazil at that time, and you know, I was speaking more Portuguese. So a guy who learned Spanish at uh, 70 years old, really nice old man, son of the guy, he... Uh, uh, you know, talk to me in Spanish. I didn't understand anything <laughs> that he said. So my wife asked me, you get the job? I asked me, you get the job? Said, well, you know, I really don't know. That's true. So I'm going to call him up again. So I called him up. I said, so what's going on? Do you want to hire me or not? Yes, we want to hire you. But before I told him, you know, I need, you know, Nike's a good company. I'm leaving a good company to come companies that has, go with the company that has problems. And I go, I need more money. Yeah. And I said, I said, okay, we'll give you twice as much. Would you make a Nike? I said, no, no, no. I need three times as much. <laughs> you know, I'm taking a, I'm taking a big risk here. Wow. So I said, I said, you know, I really didn't want the job. So I said, and then I go give you that money. And they called back. Said, okay, we'll give you that money. You know, you have to come to, come to Germany. So I went to Germany, <laughs> and they wanted me to run the Brazil office. At that time, Brazil had high inflation, high devaluation. But they had one thing that I knew that could turn everything around quickly. It was a subsidiary. It wasn't a distributor. If it was a distributor, the distributor has a markup. So the shoe that costs $10 gets marked up you know, by the distributor, and then it gets marked by two people, by a distributor and then by the retailer. Right. So they can't compete with a subsidiary. Because a subsidiary, there's just one markup, basically, to the retailer. So... Uh, you know, I told them, okay, we're going to import shoes. You know, your shoes that you make, them, uh, you know, nobody wants them. The kids don't want uh, local-made shoes. But that's difficult because then you're paying in dollars. It, at that time, it took, took them six months to deliver them. We had to show them the shoes six months beforehand. And then we had to uh, we had to wait 90 days to get paid because they didn't have the financing institutions with inflation that high and devaluation so high. Nobody would lend the money to the retailers. So the, the subsidiaries had to lend the money basically by giving you more more time to pay. Wow. But you had to be careful, you know. You have to you have to charge them in in the local currency. Right. And so we'd have to call the bank and we'd have to find out what they're hedging at at the date that these people would be paying us, and then we'd have to build in that hedge and make sure that uh, you know that we got paid on time and uh, that we didn't have any 
you know, bad inventory because it just then you just get exchange rate losses and you can't make money. Right. So I like numbers, so it worked out for me. Really <laughs> and my boss, a French guy that came, uh, he liked numbers too, and uh, we got we hit it off real quick. We turned around the company basically. It wasn't that difficult. Like I said, I just you had to keep everybody focused on doing the same thing. So we became a real subsidiary. We, we were importing the shoes, we were marketing them, we were selling them, and uh, everything changed. So uh, I stayed. Then they wanted me to oversee all Latin America after that. Wow. And uh, so I said, well, how much? <laughs> oh, it's, of course, how much more is it? Be? I, I have no, I learned that from a guy. Uh, I have no shame, basically. Yeah. <laughs> ask for your salary. You know, well, it seems like want a job. You know, just ask for it. Then I go give it to you. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so, worked out for you. <laughs> yeah, I did. And then you know, it was a lot of. Except the, I got really, really difficult because then when I started taking care of Latin America, I was traveling two hundred days every every year. Wow. It just got too difficult, you know, and. uh and my wife stayed in Albuquerque at that time because you know I was gone too much right. and everything. So, so finally I just told them, you know, um, I'm leaving. You know, uh, I don't know anything else. All I'm doing is you know getting on a plane, getting off a plane. You know, I, you know, the people are all trained in the countries. You know, I've got new management in each in each company, so you know everything will, will be good. You, know, you don't need anymore. You get a younger guy, you can pay him less, and. Uh, you know, they said, no, no, you got to wait. At that time, Argentina was collapsing. Now you can't go on to... Uh, so I basically ended up staying another two years because there was a lot of crisis in Latin America. Wow. And then I left. And then I went into retirement. And that's probably the hardest thing you really do in life. You know, it's... Uh, when you're so used to working, 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 it's hard to retire. So then I just started uh, adapting, you know, right. and traveling more. And... Uh, I mean, yeah, so. how does that compare mm-hmm. to when you kind of stopped, you know, pro running? I mean, because you're, you know, doing more of the working, the, the athletics West wasn't quite working out. You know, did that feel kind of similar to to when you retired from working, like trying to find your your place now? No, because a lot of my day is working out. You know, I get up early. And I do run, and then I do weights. I do a lot of like, you know, like now I do a lot of stretching. I do yoga. So I do about two hours of movement in the morning. And so my mornings always, you know, the same thing. I don't care where I'm working or retired or not. And then reading, and then investments. I had investments in land, you know, in apartment. And that's now that I've gotten older, I found the easiest thing is really the stock market. You know, okay. tied to a. Uh, ETF tied to Standard & Poor's, leave it alone. But you're going to make more money over 10 years. And, you know, so I do a lot of reading now. I like to read about companies, read, uh, you know, what, I have my pleasure reading, which I like reading biographies, and then I have business reading, which I, I like to read about businesses. And it just amazes me. Uh, got to change so much nowadays. It's so quick. Right. You know, and, and, and and they're doing so many different businesses. You know, you look at Amazon, you know, not just one thing anymore. Right. So it's, it's, it's amazing. So I enjoy that. I keep busy. And then I travel. I go do those uh, Camino de Santiago. And it uh, takes about a month. And uh, 
you know, walk. We end up walking about the longest I've walked is two thousand kilometers. Wow. So that'd be about hundred and twenty miles, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So uh but I enjoy them a lot. You meet a lot of really nice people. It's good exercise. Spiritually it's good too. Especially right. when you go to Santiago. And uh so I enjoy it a lot. I I do it really about twice a year now. I just got back from one I did in France. And but it was difficult because with this, you know, they have all kinds of restrictions now, and uh, it's really, really difficult getting into into Europe and getting out because I live in Brazil. Right. And Brazil is one of the you know, the countries that they don't want anybody going going into the country. So, but it's getting better now. That's good. So, yeah. So that's my life now, basically. Just <laughs> you know, what I think what I like is finally I've uh, retired my ego, my ambition. <laughs> really ambitious and really more concerned about uh, who I want to be and moving in that direction. Right. You know, and it has nothing to do with my ego, with you know, making money or with, you know, winning races. You know, that those are my paths basically. You know, I just uh, you know, have a different focus now and more in my emotion, more in my uh, alma, you know, so... It's uh, I'm, uh, that's soul. Yeah, I'm more, my, more worried about my soul than, okay. than my ambition. You know, and, uh, ego. Ego, you know, you're just more focused on yourself, basically. Right. That's what ego is. And I don't need that focus anymore. So uh, it's nice. You know, I've got a bunch of cats. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, uh, so, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny because I have to go feed about 20 cats. I don't know. We take care of street cats, poor things, you know, so I walk out there. Every morning, and leave them food and water. And, you know, <laughs> that's I retire. And that's what I'm doing. You know, in, in the morning, do that, and then I go home and do my run, and then I do the working out and do my reading, and I enjoy it and the traveling. So I, I combine everything. But yeah. what I like is that I'm not uh, I'm not tied down to anything time wise or anything materialistic anymore. I just right. you know sold almost all my property, sold my car. Wow. So my house, you know, I just want a whole different life. So if I want that life, I have to get rid of stuff. Right. So I did that, and, I, and you know, I feel good. And That's... I go visit people, runners. You know, I like to go see Matt every time I'm in Albuquerque. And, right. And anywhere I go, where I know some runners, <laughs> you know, I see them stay in contact. I mean, it's your tribe. You never get out of your tribe. You know. Right. Uh, so it works very good. That's that's amazing. I, I feel better, you know. I, I when I come in in the morning because I still do a type of fartlek. Uh, it's not as long as I used to do the fartleks, but it'd be like thirty minutes, uh, thirty seconds, not thirty minutes. <laughs> thirty seconds, quick. I am really pushing it to get my heart rate up to one twenty, and uh, then it'd be uh, a minute again pushing it, and then walking. And I don't jog in between. I don't jog anymore. I'm either running or striding. I'm not a jogger. <laughs> no, I, I don't wanna. I don't wanna. You know, it's couple of my feet, and I just if I'm gonna run, it's gonna be fast, basically. Okay. And so maybe that is maybe that is my ego, really. Yeah. I, but, you know, I just uh, I like getting my heart rate up. I yeah. Like to get it to 120, I feel better. That's stuff. good. Yeah. So yeah, and that's where I am now. Well, I didn't tell you I won. I won uh, before I went back. Before I went to Nike, I won the 
uh, Albuquerque. What is it? Albuquerque Marathon? Duke oh, City yeah, Marathon? the Duke City Marathon. Yeah, I saw that. No, I broke. No, I broke the record. I didn't win it because I didn't register. Oh. <laughs> guy, I, I didn't register because the guy offered me. God, how much was it? Like two hundred bucks or something. For if he could pull my blood, I don't need to work in some kind of study. If I would six times allow him to, you know, to get blood from me yeah. during the run. I'd say, yeah, that kind of price. And then he started off low, you know, like, I'll give you 50 bucks. I don't know, I don't do that for 50 bucks. <laughs> and, you know, everybody wanted to get everything cheap, you know? Yeah. Just, uh, so I'd stopped and, you know, he'd stick the needle in me, pull out the blood, and I'd take off again. And I'd the, I, so I don't know how many times I stopped, if it was 26 miles and maybe four times, I guess. Wow. He, he took it at first, I thought, you know, I'm already stopped at the first. Right. He took it at the end. Maybe about four times I guess I had to stop. But uh but I broke the record. I still have it. Yeah, it was uh, I, I can't remember two twenty five. Twenty five, yeah. That's I was like it... Yeah. High altitude. And that's a tough full course. I mean you go up you go up toward the mound and then you come back around on tramway, I think. Yeah, I they were on tramway when, when I ran it. Yeah, so the the, back the course now is on. Um, you start in in the center of Albuquerque, like in downtown by the convention center, and you go out to the bus and do kind of an out and back there. Okay, that's flatter. Uh, yeah, yeah, oh. much much flatter. Oh, yeah. Did you know Gil Durant? I did not. Okay, he put on the races. Uh, I he was doing that to. Was he doing the big city? I was, I think, before. Yeah. At first. And then he, uh, you know, when I was starting to run, uh, he was putting on a lot of races. But he never wanted any help. He wanted to do it all himself, you know. <laughs> and uh, so so they stayed a certain size. Right. But uh, he, he's got a big influence, you know. I was always knew I could find a race where, where he's at. And he enjoyed, he enjoyed running and enjoyed uh, putting on races. It's a lot of work to put on a race. Oh yeah. A lot of work. Yep. I wouldn't even get I wouldn't even get near that. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, and then I got uh I ran another race in uh Portland, the Portland Marathon. Okay. And I'm running, it was raining again, which didn't bother me. And you know, I I never look at the course, I guess. So you know, what comes comes. <laughs> Just go out there and you know, follow the leader basically. The yeah. cop they had a cop. I don't know what happened. And all of a sudden people coming toward me on the other side and the cop had taken the wrong way. Oh, and everybody was lost. You know? Oh no. So I just, I just kept running, you know, I just get a good workout anyway. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then, like, <laughs> they wanted me, they interviewed me and they said, well, what do you think about the organization? I said, you know, they, they worked hard. And it was a mistake, and you know it's raining, terrible weather. But that doesn't take away from all that hard work that they did. So right. I have nothing negative to say about what happened. Uh, just uh, I appreciate the work they done. And, uh, you know, you know, they don't get the appreciation they really should because no. it's hard work. It is. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a lot, and if you do everything right, no one says anything, and if you do it wrong, yeah. then it's <laughs> yeah. Then everybody gets mad. So, 
yeah, that's why I don't do races. I mean, I, I don't even run them anymore. Yeah. It's kind of, I can, you know, with my, my workout, I, I just want to go fast sometimes. Yeah. Because that's another thing. I do, I read a lot about health is that, uh, you, you know, you're a fast twitch. Right. Honestly, okay. Yeah, you know, yeah, the sprinters have a fat twitch, uh, marathon runners have the slow twitch. Right. But whatever, as you get older, you lose speed. Right. Uh, if you don't maintain that speed, you don't get it back. What you lose, you don't get it back. Right. So, and I read that. I said, okay, man, I ain't going to lose any more speed. I'm going <laughs> to put speed in my workout every morning. You know? <laughs> and it does. It feels good. I feel good. My legs feel good. And, you know, I get my body, my body to, you know, pulse rate up and, you know, feels good. That's, that's great. That's uh, amazing. Uh, you know, I do want to, I want to go back a little bit um, because what I think, Anybody who, you know, looks you up and, and looks at what you did, you know, they're going to find the times, they're going to find some of these marathons, but they're also going to find, uh, you know, articles or or blogs or whatever about you getting arrested running on UNM's track. Ah, uh, that was a mistake. <laughs> you know, but it was a mistake because of the way runners are, basically. Right. Is that okay? I wanted to run some 400 meters, so I lived by the track. I was a uh, assistant coach, you know, uh, before that, and I had a. I could have gone in with a key, basically call a coach, take in the key, but it's a lot easier to go over the fence, climb it, and, and just start running. <laughs> and uh, so I was running, and all of a sudden, a police officer came, and and when I he, I went by him, I said, you know, I put up one finger just one more time. You know, you don't want to stop training. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you know, you just don't stop, basically. Right. Because you don't want to become a habit. So then, like, you know, I slowed down and came by him again. He says, you have to leave. I said, why? And he says, because McDonald, he was athletic director at that time, was up there in the bullet. He saw me running. And he told the police officer, get me off the track. I said, oh, man, I can't believe that, you know. So I said, no, I'm not going. I go, well, you know, I'm going to keep running. And you know, I said, I'm out the wretch, I know, but I'm not going. So <laughs> he arrested me right there, didn't even let me do another lap. And I tight, don't do it, you know, don't get arrested. Not worth it, you know. Then all of a sudden you go to jail. I'm heading to a jail, I go, shit, you know. Well, I'm lucky the guy uh, checking in people to get into the jail, however well, they do how they do it. But it was a friend of mine from high school. Oh, wow. And he told me, hey, what are you doing? I said, I got arrested. Said, I'll take care of it. They called the judge to get me released on my own recognizance. So I didn't have to go to jail, basically, which is good. And uh, and then just some lawyers called and said, oh, we'll help you. Okay, and then uh, UNM president called me. They said, okay, what happened? We're not going to apologize. Uh, you shouldn't have been on that track. It's okay, I'm not going to get an argument about that. You know? Right. He said, okay, we'll drop the charges. Yeah. Okay, great. Move on. And moved on. And, you know, it's, uh, but it was different, you know. Then then I go to Oregon and they have the track open all the time. Right. Yeah. You know? I mean, what's, uh, what's the deal about, you know, that you don't want to let runners on the track? It doesn't <laughs> make sense. So, uh, I won't do it again. That's about the base of the story. I mean, it's not fun getting arrested. You know, I put the handcuffs on you and I forget it. 
a long time. Yeah. So yes, uh, the running will always be a part of my life. I've been doing it since you know, must have been when I started running. I must have been seventy. I graduated in seventy-eight. I, I probably must have been seventy-two, seventy-three, like that. Because uh, yeah, and then then I just run almost every day since then, basically. There's very few days that I've missed. Uh, it's uh, like it's different now. It's just it's a part of my life. It's not my life anymore. It's just uh, a part. And I was lucky to tell you the truth. Okay, nobody likes to end the career. Basically, that was the best thing that happened to me. That my running career ended when I was 30 years old. Let's see, yeah, because 83 was when I went to Korea. So it was a little. Uh, I was about 28 years old, and that was a good, perfect time to trying to get into a workforce. Mm-hmm. If you wait too late, a lot of runners, you know, I see them, and they're waiting to the late 30s or 40s. It's difficult. Because a 20-year-old can do the job, the beginning jobs. Right. And so you don't, you got to move, you know, you got to do those jobs to keep moving up, basically. So you get known. You can see how you work and everything. So I was lucky. I was able to do different jobs, work, you know, I lived in Korea, lived in in Panama, I lived in Mexico City, I lived in Brazil. I just worked on different countries and different types of environments, and so I learned a lot. And, and it's nice. So, you know, I just, you can't let, you can't let work 25 years long enough. You can't let uh, work drag you down. Right. You know, and then you're not enjoying your life, basically. You're just making money. And uh, it's it tiring. So, do that now. And, and keep keep busy. That's the main thing. <laughs> and move, you know. Right. Well, that's why I do a lot of. Uh, I do the yoga. I do the stretching. I do the planks. You know, just because you know, I'm in, I'm inside reading a lot. So I go in the morning. I do my running, walking. Afternoon, I do my walking, and then it's just always some type of movement. So you know, keep. Uh, I like the way I feel. When I'm in good shape. Right. I'm doing push-ups too. I'm surprised. I feel pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I just I never really. I used to go to the gym. I do, but now nobody goes to the gym because of the pandemic. Right. So I just started reading about push-ups, and I, I like them. You know, I'm doing I'm, uh, different types of it and everything. And, uh, I, I feel better. That's you know, my my whole body feels better with the push-ups too. So that's good. And I do the leg lifts too. No, I don't. I don't want to get a belly. I don't care how old I get. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I'm my ego. <laughs> yes. But then I got down my way down. When I graduated from high school. I was wrestling 134, and uh, and now I weigh 132. I weigh less than I did when I graduated from high school. Wow. So yeah, I just like not to exercise more. Being careful what I eat. The Brazilians eat really well. Yeah, you know they eat a they have a huge amount of vegetables, a huge amount of different types of salads. Uh, they always have beans with something for lunch, you know, with with meat or with fish or whatever. But the basis is the beans, so you're eating really good here. And I really wish I'd eaten this well when I was running. <laughs> two things really, but you know, it's a regret. Not a regret, but I would have done better. I would have eaten better. Right. You know, I used to eat in the cafeteria. You know, at the university, because you know, 
that's what they cooked and that's all they really had there. And it wasn't that great of school, really, uh, the type you need to, uh, to compete. And then the, the, the resting, you know, I'm real conscientious of getting enough sleep, getting enough rest. I don't overtrain now, it's, you know, and that was a trouble. I overtrained a lot when I was, uh, you know, younger. Right. Because it just, you know, you have the energy. Right. You think, okay, I'll do one more, I'll do one more. But that's the biggest mistake, basically. All the best races that I ran was when I was forced not to, not to be able to run. The one when I did the first marathon, you know, I cross country season was over, so there was a period there where I, you know, I wasn't training hard. I'd reduced my mileage and I went and run, ran a great, you know, a good race, just from because I was rested. Right. The same thing when I went to uh, when I went to Eugene and won that marathon. I was only doing sixty miles a, a week. Usually, I run one hundred and twenty. Wow! You know, when I when I have the free time. But I was working at, uh, with uh, Jerry Apodaca at uh, a physical fitness thing they had. And okay. I went with Jesse Castaneda. You know Jesse Castaneda, the marker? I don't I think so. I used to work so. with him. Uh, he's, a, he's a pretty famous walker. He used to walk a lot. Okay. Anyway, he, he was working with me. At the, I was working at the, the county parks and recreation. And he told me, come, come with me. Let's go, go see you. Apalaka. I said, what for? He said, I'm asking for a job. She said, I need a job too. I'll go. <laughs> and uh, so they, uh, you know, talked to Apodaca and they told you, Apodaca was in the Council for Physical Fitness and the Presidential Council of Fitness and Physical Fitness. And it was big back then. So we said, hey, you know, you need to have it here in Mexico then too. You can't be in, in it and national one not being. Right. So he hired us and did Ah, uh, but you know, I couldn't work out anymore. It was just I couldn't. We had to come early from Albuquerque to Santa Fe, so my morning workout was messed up, and that was always my the best one. So mm. I would just go out and run at night, and I'd run less. Wow! But I ran better. <laughs> my body was recovered. It's stupid, and I didn't put two and two together. Right. Well, I think it's. I I knew. You know, I knew I had to rest more, but I just couldn't do it. Right. And it's hard when you're young to think. You know, everybody else is doing this. I need to make sure I'm doing it too. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I like Coach Franklin at UNM. He really, really does a good job of not overtraining the kids. And he doesn't overrace them. You know, I, I watch the races. They go through. They don't go to that many races. Right. And, and, and he, you know, and he gives them a certain amount of flow to work out and doesn't let them do more than that. Yeah. And that's what you need, basically. That's the, one of the most important things. So he's done a really good job. I like him. I had him over to my house when he got hired. And I like Matt, too. Matt used to uh, coach him before. Yeah. Matt, Matt Henry. Yeah. You know, and and uh, I invited Franklin over and we had a barbecue. And a nice guy, really nice. So he's done well. And, you know. UNM's got one nationals a couple of times with them, I think, already with the women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've they've had a, a really good women's team. So, yeah. Um, you know, Lionel, this is this has been a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun <laughs> hearing your whole story. That's, I mean, obviously didn't know a lot about that. Um, but I think I think this is a great place to kind of wrap up. 
Um, okay. I, I ask Hope every... I didn't talk too much. No, no, you're good. I, I, <laughs> I enjoyed listening to it. So I was, it was kind of, I mean, just the, the how you are jumping back and forth between all these places is pretty amazing to me. Well, you know, yeah, you get opportunity, you got to grab it. Right, right. Yeah, that's uh, no way of getting around it. Just, it's not going to come again. Yeah. And, you know, and if you don't do it when you're young, it's difficult to do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and there's things that, you know, it's just like nudging, and, you know, it's so, uh, that somebody pushes you in that direction, whatever. Every biography I've read, there's somebody that has helped move them in a certain direction. Right. There's always people that are helping you, yeah. and you don't you, know, you don't do it alone. And you got to be aware of that. You say, okay, yeah, at least point yourself in the right direction, and then there'll be a lot of people helping you out. Right. I think that's yeah. a that's a great, uh, great sentiment and great kind of um, way to look at things. Uh, so yeah. I, have one, I have one more question that I ask everybody, mm-hmm. and that's just uh, what are you listening to? You know, when you get up to go do your your little runs, your fart lick workouts or, or your um you know, your push ups and everything to, to kinda of get you going and through it. I really that it gets me going is the coffee. <laughs> I'm not you know, I, I, I need that coffee. I have that coffee and it's like, you know, it's like like it's not those big American coffees. It's a smaller one. Right. It's not trying to come in. Maybe like two ounces, but really strong Brazilian coffee. I need that. I take that and I'm okay you know, for the rest of the day. But <laughs> I don't listen that much. I listen to the news. When I wake up, I like to turn on the news. And so when I'm eating and drinking my coffee, I have the news on. And then when I, I run and walk, I don't take a, you know my, my iPhone with me, right. music with me. I'm thinking really a lot when I'm doing that. Yeah. Not, uh, you know, med- not meditating. When I do the walking, like in the cleaners, I'm meditating. Oh, I'm walking it like thinking, okay, you know, what do I want to do, what do I you know, need to do, and things like that. Right. I enjoy it. That's good, and that makes sense. I think a lot of people do that too. So, but again, thank yeah. thank you so much. I, I love your attitude of of where you're at now, and and you know where you came from, and and what you're doing. I, I think it's uh, it's awesome, and I, I thank you again for taking the time to talk with me and is there anything else you'd like to add before I let you go? No, no, I appreciate uh, doing this podcast with you and uh, I was kind of nervous at first yeah. and then get relaxed, you know, say, hey, don't cough, you know, yeah. I had a cough all day, I started taking stuff to get rid of the cough, yeah. <laughs> you can't cough, <laughs> you're talking about podcasts, so, but it was fun, I appreciate it, something different. Oh, good. And, uh, yeah, I remember, it, it's fun to talk about, yeah, to talk about memories, but don't get caught in them, you know. Don't, uh, don't look back, basically. Just, uh, they're good memories. But right. there's, there's good future, too. And, you know, and, and tomorrow or today is always the best. Today is always the best day, because you're living it. And, uh, so, I try to stay focused on today as much as I can. I'd once again like to thank my guests for their time, and thank you for tuning in. If you have the opportunity, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
or just help spread the word. Music was provided by Philip Friedman. You can follow him on SoundCloud at DJ Teach. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at RunningNM. Feel free to drop me a line or shoot me an email at runningnewmexico at gmail.com if you have any questions or know of someone who should be interviewed. In the meantime, keep running, New Mexico.